Ah, praise the Lord. You can be seated. It's a joy and an honor to be with you, a privilege to be with you. And uh, wow, good things happening here, eh? And um, it's been a while since I've been through to say hi, um, but that gives me the advantage of seeing how much you've grown, how much you've developed, how much you've uh, deepened in what you're doing here for the Lord. God's got great plans for gospel. Amen. 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 And uh, thank you for that, that introduction, Jeff. It's been a, a great journey, hasn't it? I'm so thankful for Jeff and Jane. Are you thankful for Pastor Jeff and Jane? Yeah. They're wonderful people. And uh, yeah, it's a joy to, to journey with them. And we've been over some mountains, through some valleys, lost in some wildernesses together. But that's Christianity, right? Um, it's a journey. And uh, I think it was 28 years ago, I uh, suddenly woke up one morning and said, Let's go hire the Thorngate and have some revival meetings. And uh, we just pitched up, not having a clue what we were doing in the Thorngate there. And um, that's when we really engaged with uh, Jeff and Jane. And little did we know then that it was going to result in what you guys are doing now. So thankful. And it's a joy to see my dad here, Dave Elms. And uh, somebody said to me this morning, hi, Mr. Elms. I said, oh, no, my dad's in the house. He's Mr. Elms, you know. And uh, it's, it's such a joy to see um, my dad settled in. So take good care of him, okay? Yeah. All right, there he is. Take good care of him. <coughs> there you go. Dad's known me for 59 years now. And, uh, but it's a joy. You know, when, when dad said, you know what, I think I'm going to, because he lives on gospel, I'm going to go to the gospel congregation. I said, dad, I have nothing but joy in my heart because I know that you're going to a great community where people will love on you and you'll love on them. And, uh, you know, I thought, oh, man, we're going we're gonna to miss Dad in Portsmouth. But then I thought, no, I know he'll be here with, with good friends and a good community of people. So take good care of him, okay? There's your marching orders there. <laughs> and, hey, you know, I heard it said recently, you know, whenever we say Jesus is in the room, ministry becomes really simple. Um, unless we're demanding him to do what we want to do. Where actually ministry is once you establish that he's in the room, not just in the room, but in the room. Then the question is simply, what are you doing? And then having a sensitivity to say, whatever you're doing, let's do that. Um, you know, I've been in moments in ministry over the years where we were trying to make Jesus do stuff. And you won't, you won't, you won't. He comes with an agenda. And the best thing we can be is sensitive to him, amen. And, you know, I was asking that question this morning. What are you doing here, Lord? What are you not, what are you doing here, Lord? <laughs> What are you doing here, Lord? And I really, I really sensed him um, saying to me, right now he's lifting faith. He's lifting faith. You see, wherever Jesus was, he lifted faith. When he was in a boat and people were freaking out, he lifted faith. Through rebuke, but he lifted faith. And constantly he said to people, only believe. Only believe. And I don't know where you're at at the moment, what you're going through. I sense there's a couple of people and you are on the edge of quitting. Don't. There's a couple of people, you're on the edge of believing for something. Don't, don't, don't stop believing. Let the Holy Spirit lift faith in you right now. Come on, Holy Spirit lift faith. It says of Gideon, not that the Holy Spirit was in Gideon, but the Holy Spirit clothed himself with Gideon. I like that. But so often we can think about him in us. But when it says of Gideon in Judges 6, it says, and the Holy Spirit clothed himself with Gideon. Isn't that awesome that we've got the Holy Spirit living in us? His presence is here today. So I'm just praying over you right now. If, if you're in that moment where you feel your faith is weak, let faith arise in Jesus' name. Let there be a release of faith. 
within you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's an absolute joy to be with you. And uh, we're now starting a series called Christology. Don't be put off by ology. Um, I don't know what your educational background was, but um, I left school before... I left school before they asked me to leave, so don't worry about it. Um, you know, ology is simply the study of something. And we really felt at the beginning of the year that we needed to really concentrate on the statement Jesus made to make disciples. And that's our theme this year. We don't want it to be a theme that we suddenly spend a week on. We want to dedicate this year and the rest of our lives, hopefully, to being learners and saying, Jesus, we want to be learning about you. We don't want to be attenders. We don't want to be those like the thief on the cross who were saved and going to heaven. No, he did. We want to be like the fishermen. We want to walk the road of the fishermen and say, Jesus, when we see you one day face to face, our lives will be changed because we spent our lives getting to know you, knowing you. And now Jesus gave a twofold invitation. He said, come to me, all who are weary and broken. That's the gospel, isn't it? Come to him. If you're weary and broken... You don't need to be. Come to Jesus. He'll put you back together again. But the very next statement Jesus says is, learn of me. Often Christians come to him in their brokenness, but they never learn of him. What we're saying is family church. We're all doing this together in all our congregations. We're making sure we've got our L plates on. All right. What's an L plate? A learner plate. It's somebody that says, but actually, you know what? I've been thinking about it. I'm not wearing my L plate. I'm wearing my P plate. Because often when people take off a L plate, they'll put a P plate on their car. Do you know what P stands for? Keep it down, keep it down. Remember what P stands for? Probationary. And I read this about, I read this about L plates and P plates, that you don't have a choice about wearing an L plate. But a P plate is your choice. Isn't that awesome? And it says, I choose to continue learning. So we want to be a church that's wearing plates that say, we choose to continue to keep on learning. Amen. So we're starting the first of four series that we're going to be doing together this year. One is Christology. One is um, Soteriology, which is the understanding of salvation. Um, One is Pneumatology, which is understanding the ministry of the Spirit. And one is Eschatology, which we're going to look together at what we believe the Bible says about the end days and what it looks like, the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is going to be good, right? So I want to encourage you, keep your L plate on, keep your P plate on, whichever one you choose. But let's walk together as a community saying, we're going to keep learning. Now, the theme of Christology is Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what we're looking at today. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I'm not going to be so preachy today, Because we really want to spend some time learning together, all right? So um, if you go online, you can see Preachy Andy. There's a lot of him on there. We're taking time, all of the pastors of all of the congregations, to say, come on, let's stop and teach some of this stuff. Now, the word Christology comes from two Greek words, meaning Christ, which is Christ Messiah, and word, which combined means Christology is simply the study of Christ. The study of Christ. It's the study of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now, that's important, isn't it? I think that's really important. Why why is it important? Number one, because of relationship. By understanding who he is fully, you can know him better than ever before. 
See, you know a person by what you know about them. As we study Jesus, come on, he's worth studying. Come on, if you're bored of Jesus, you're in the wrong club. You really are. Jesus is worthy of taking time to study with a heart that as we know him better, we'll know him better. Number two, when we know him as Christ and Messiah, we don't just know the person of Christ, but we know the mission of Christ. That Jesus didn't come to earth on a tourist visa. He came with a purpose. His purpose was to be the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. So when we know Jesus in his fullness and we understand his mission, our lives are benefited. Number three, we understand that once we know him and his mission, we can live in the good of what he is and what he's done. There's benefits to knowing him more. Come and learn of me, he said. So as we learn about him, we suddenly discover what he achieved in his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his exaltation. Understanding what he did in those four maneuvers at the cross, coming Easter, we celebrate it, causes you to no longer be ignorant of what he's done. Now, if we're not ignorant concerning what he's done, we can then live in the good of what he's done. That's Christianity, knowing what Christ has done for us in his death, burial, resurrection, exaltation, and then saying, wow, now I can live in the good of what he's done for me. Now, the Bible says in a different passage that people perish perish from lack of knowledge or lack of understanding. We don't want that to be family church. I really believe Jesus Christ is coming soon. I don't know when. I just look around and I look at the world and I say, it's broken. I look at society and I say, it is more confused than it's ever been before. Jesus is coming soon, which puts an obligation on me as a church leader. Number one, I've got to get as many people in the boat as I can. Soul winner. If you've never learned how to win others to Christ, get yourself signed up for soul winner. Number two, I've got to get the bride ready for collection. Who's the bride of Christ? Give me a wave if you're a part of a bride of Christ. Don't worry if you're a man's man. I ain't calling myself a bride. You better, he does. Amen. I want the bride, family church, those under our leadership, to be ready for when he comes. And that's why we don't mind taking some time to talk about these things. Number four, also, when we understand who he is, we validate who he's not. But there's going to be many false Christs coming. Now, that was said 2,000 years ago. It's no different today. It's just now that they've got social media platforms. All right? Listen to what Jesus said. Remember, if we understand the real, we spot the counterfeit. I want Family Church to be a community of people that handle the real, like bank tellers, so much when a counterfeit note comes through, they know it's not real. Now, you can study counterfeit. That's going to leave you confused. Or you can study genuine. Then when counterfeit comes into your hands, you know it's not real. We want you to be a people in these end times where many false prophets are going out saying crazy things to know the voice of Christ in your life. Here's what Jesus said about it, Matthew 24. In verse 5, he says, For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. We don't want to be those who are deceived. Amen. Prior to that, in verse 24, he says, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show even great signs and wonders to deceive people. If possible, even the elect. Which means anyone is open for deception and being deceived. But you won't be deceived by counterfeit if you're committed to genuine. Why are we doing Christology? To stop you being deceived, 
to make you strong in your walk with the Lord. Now, we need to be knowing Jesus is the Christ. And I love that account that we read about in Matthew 16, where Peter, Simon, uh, who becomes Peter, has this understanding. Wait a moment. This guy that I'm walking with isn't just another human. We need that revelation that Jesus isn't just a good guy. When you ask people in life today, who's Jesus? So many responses. This was a moment where Jesus was standing um, by what was called the gates of hell. It was a place in Caesarea Philippi, an actual physical place where people believed it was an entrance to hell. And Jesus stood there and said, the gates of hell cannot prevail against me. Now, he also said, who do people say I am? That's a question we're asking. Who do you say he is? And is your answer correct? And people said, oh, he's a prophet, he's Elijah. Other people today would say, nice guy. Oh, big in humanitarian care. Yeah, some would say an astronaut. I've asked so many people as a soul winner that question, who do you say Jesus is? I've asked it in so many restaurants to so many waitresses, it's ridiculous. And never had an angry response, but had some amazing. I've had people say he was a magician. I've had people say he was a con man. I had people say that he was a nice guy. Now, Jesus was asking that same question. And then all of a sudden, he looked at his followers, his disciples, and he said, so what about you? Let's make this individual. Who do you say I am? Now, what if Jesus asked you that question? It would be interesting to think about what your response would be, wouldn't it? Would you say, well, he's a nice guy. He's a historical figure. He's a concept. No, we need to understand him like Peter did when he's at the moment when he was Simon. He turns and he says, okay, what about you? Who do you say I am? All of a sudden, Simon Peter, he steps forward again and he says, you're the Christ, you're the son of God. Now, let me read that to you. It says, he said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon of Jonah, for, for flesh and blood, human intellect, has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has made this known to you. We call that in church revelation, revealed knowledge. There's natural knowledge, there's natural wisdom, and there's revealed knowledge and, and revealed wisdom that comes from God. I believe when the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, he brings the revealed knowledge that Jesus wasn't just another guy walking the earth. This is what was happening for Simon Peter in this moment. He's been walking with Jesus. He's slept around campfires with Jesus. He's seen Jesus. But the penny hadn't dropped until this moment when all of a sudden Jesus says, who am I? And he steps forward. He'd not read the Bible. He'd not read passages of response. And he said, I know who you are. You're not normal. You're not everyday, Jesus. You're not like Joe down the street. You're the Christ that was foretold in the scriptures. I believe that the one foretold is you. I believe that you are the son of God. What a huge statement to put upon someone. But this was because of what he'd seen, but also because of what had been revealed. Father, would you ever reveal to us that Jesus is the Christ and the son of God? Now, he'd known him natural as a person, but now he saw him in his true identity and purpose. We also need a revelation that Jesus was more than a man and is the Christ. Now, we live in a society where society wants to remove Jesus. Notice how it says anti-Christ, not anti-God. We need to be defenders of who the Christ is. 
and say it's non-negotiable. You see, every society has a choice. Do you lift your hands to God and purpose in your heart by his help to become like him? Or do you bring him down to be like you? Because if you bring him down to be like you, you can carry on sinning like you know you shouldn't be sinning. But if he sins, so can you. Right the way through societies, Roman Empire built gods that enabled them to continue to live wrong. Meanwhile, there stood a God who said, no, 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 I'm not coming down to be like you. I'm coming down to walk with you, but I'm giving you an invitation to ascend and become like me by placing my word in your hands and my spirit in your heart. Amen. So we don't want to bring God down and make him just an everyday guy. That's what society wants to do. Desperate to make Jesus just another man. He wasn't another man. He was the Christ, the foretold Messiah, and he still is. He was, he is, and he is to come. He was yesterday, today, and forever, the Christ and the Son of God. In society gone, in society today, in society to come. Well, Brother Andy, we'll lock you in prison if you say that. Okay, lock me in prison, because I'm not going to stop saying that one way leads to God, and it's Jesus Christ. All roads do not lead to God. Not everyone that claims they're a God is Christ. There's one Christ, and it's Jesus. Amen. Boy, we got a little bit dangerous there, didn't we? Eh? Now, the meaning of the word Christ is from the Greek Christos, meaning anointed one, or Christ which means he came with a purpose and was anointed for a purpose. Jesus didn't come on a tourist visa. He came on a mission. But he left the Father's um, house. He left the, the, the kingdom of God seated next to the Father in pre-existence to come to earth, not to look around, but to bring the salvation of God to the sons and daughters of Adam who had been separated from God. That was us. Now, listen to these verses again, Acts 10, verse 38. Now, it speaks how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So we see that Jesus came with a mission to help people who were alive then, but his greater mission was to save humanity. Amen. The Spirit of the Lord, Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favour. That's obviously him quoting Isaiah 61, but he cuts it short because now the Saviour was present. The Saviour was here. He was here on purpose and he was anointed the Christ, the Messiah, by the Father to do everything that he was sent to do. So over the next five weeks, we're going to look at a number of related subjects about Jesus. They're not boring, they're exciting when you're in love with the person. I can remember a person saying once that the Bible was boring and I told him a story that I'd heard. I said, yeah, there used to be a young man who wrote a book of poetry and um, and there was a, a lady who had read that book of poetry, and she said, it's the most boring book I've ever read in my life. All of a sudden, this young lady falls in love with this young man, not knowing he's the author. And the young man says to him, hey, I don't know if it means anything, but can I give you this book? It's a book of poems I've, I've written. She suddenly realizes it's the same book she read before, but this time when she read it, she cried and said, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever read. 
You see, when you know the author and the writer, when you know the, the one who was, who is, and is to come, suddenly everything about him should become exciting. I don't think there's anything boring about God. Oh, well, I can't go to church or I'm bored. No, 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 you're boring. Let's face the fact. <laughs> don't blame God for your own issues, okay? You know, no wives look at husbands or husbands look at wives at this point, please. No. Yeah. I stopped being a Christian because it's boring. No, you're boring. You're boring. Tell me how Paul and Silas were bored in the prison being whipped and flogged. For, you know, no, no. We need to understand it's exciting. Amen. Now, we want a correct picture of who he is and he will always be. All right, moving quickly. So we look at this subject called the pre-existence of Christ, which basically says we believe as a church that Jesus Christ wasn't made in the manger, but he pre-existed before being born on the earth. I know this is fundamental, but it's important that we understand what the Bible says about Jesus' existence prior to conception and birth. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the incarnation of God. It's going to be a fun journey. And I know Pastor Jeff's going to do an amazing job unpacking this stuff. Now, there are many texts in the New Testament that speak in one way or another of the pre-existence of Christ. I'm going to rush through some of them. John says, in John 1, verses 1, 14, he says, The Word became flesh, which implies that he existed prior to incarnation as the Word. All right? We've all read that. The Word became flesh, right? Jesus himself teaches his pre-existence in a number of texts. He said he had glory with the Father before the world was. This is Jesus saying of himself, he had glory with the Father before the world was, John 17, verse 5. And that he had come from the Father, John 5, uh, 43, John 6, 38. Now, these imply his existence prior to birth. Now, we existed in the mind of God before we were born. I really believe that. I believe that, that, that we existed in the mind of God before we were born. We weren't just the invention of our parents. Jesus existed in person, not in thought. He wasn't a thought in the mind of the Father. He was present with the Father. In the beginning, in Genesis, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity as we know it. This is important stuff for us to have grounded in our life. Um, Jesus also said that he existed prior to Abraham's birth. These are all statements of him speaking of himself. John 8, verses 58 to 59. Even though Abraham's birth preceded Jesus' own birth by many centuries, Jesus said, before Abraham, I was. Now, these are important because we need to be able to answer for ourselves, what does the Bible say about this? And again, we see several texts throughout the epistles, which is what follows the Gospels. Romans 8, verse 3, 1 John 1 to 2, Galatians 4 to 4. They're all passages that speak of his pre-existence with the Father before his birth. Also, several passages call Jesus the creator. If you go to John 1, 2, 3, Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, Hebrews 1 to 2, it says, and all things were made by him through him. But we understand that Jesus was the word of God present in Genesis. He wasn't coming into existence in a manger. Is that good? Now, this is important. Paul, also in referring to Christ, says that Christ was rich, but then became poor which meant he existed in a former condition before the one that he came to know, and that he was in the form of God 
but humbled himself. These are all statements made by Jesus, by the apostles, that he was in the form of God, but humbled himself, that he was before all things. This reference in incarnation and uh, his previous coming to the earth. Now, the good news is everything you want to know about God, you can see in Christ. Often you have Christians going, I just wish I knew what God was like. Simple. He was fully revealed in his son 2,000 years ago. Any questions you have about God the Father can be answered by studying God the Son. Because he was the express image. He was the total reflection of everything his father was. To know God more is simply to know Jesus more. Amen. So... Referencing his incarnation, he suggests his previous coming to earth. Now, Jesus pre-existed in his divinity, um, and it's further proven that on the earth, he was continually worshipped. I've got verses for that, but he never stopped people worshipping him. He never did. Why? Because he knew his part in the divinity, but he was, um, he was uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Also... He implied that he had authority over the Sabbath. He spoke against things that were established laws. And he had authority to abolish the law, Ephesians 2, 14 to 15. Not an everyday man could have authority over a Sabbath established by the law or have the right to abolish the law and replace an old covenant with a new covenant. These are all things. There's verse after verse after verse after verse. We don't build these thoughts on random verses. The Bible reveals his pre-existence. Paul teaches about his pre-existence and his role in creation at the foundation of time. Jesus said of himself, I was with the Father. I came. Before Abraham was, I was. So we need to be established when society says to us, Well, he was just another man that God used. No, he wasn't. He was 100% man and 100% God. He is deity. He was with the Father from the foundation of time. Now, this is important because we're building good building blocks. So the Bible and the pre-existence of Jesus. Let me just read these statements to you. Pre-existence is defined as existence in a former state or previous to something else. In the case of Jesus the Christ, you know his last name wasn't Christ, right? I mean, this is how some people are confused. You say, what was Jesus' last name? Christ. Well, no, he would have been Jesus bar Joseph because they carried the... The problem was that Joseph was only his stepdad, so he was really Jesus bar God, but we won't even go there. But his last name wasn't Christ. Some of you are shocked. What? 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 No, it was the announcement of who he was. Now, he existed, in the case of Jesus Christ, his pre-existence means that he became a man and walked upon the earth. He was already in existence as the second person of the triune Godhead before coming to the earth and walking upon it. The Bible not only explicitly teaches the doctrine, but also implies this fact at various points throughout the Gospels and the epistles. In addition, Jesus' own actions reveal his divine identity And as a consequence, his pre-existence. Even the religious rulers said, nobody does what this man does. If it was just the miracles he did, then that in itself would be evidence that he was deity, that he was beyond just human existence. The things he did bore witness to who he was. Everybody still with me? All right. Now, there's many um, prophecies in the Bible about Jesus 
before he came, matching verses of after he came. It's not like a random verse. Well, I know two. There's, there's hundreds. In fact, there's 300 instances of Jesus and his ministry and his purpose being mentioned in the old and then being revealed in the new. This is good stuff for us to study. I'm going to give you some homework in a minute for you to read through. Now, many prophecies in the Old Testament confirmed his pre-existence as well as God's eternal plan of salvation through his one and only son. Now, these are seen in, number one, something we call types and shadows. All right? What are types and shadows? They're four warnings or four announcements, pre-announcements of what will be. So when you look at types and shadows, it's like if my shadow walks in the room, my shadow isn't me, it's not the substance of me, it's telling you that I'm coming, right? In the same way, there's things in the Old Testament, Psalms and Proverbs, that announce so loudly, Christ is coming, this is what he will do, this is what he will look like. Now, as well as types and shadows, there's clear prophecies that speak of him, and his redemptive work that correspond precisely with achievements recorded in the New Testament. We are going to hand out some sheets of paper, and you could take these home. I just wanted to give you some homework, if that's cool. This is a list of types and shadows of Jesus in the Bible, all right, but also corresponding prophecies and fulfillments. Is that good? And it's really good reading. It's really exciting reading, okay? If you don't want one, look at the steward and go, no, all right? (laughs) Feel free to do that. It's a free world, right? But I really think these are good things to tuck in your Bible and go over. Now, as they're giving them out, here's some familiar ones that we've included, right? His birth is mentioned in Genesis 3.15, the uh, 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 messianic prophecy but then it's also mentioned in Galatians 4.4. 4. His lineage is in Genesis 49, and it's in Luke 3.33. Um, his place of birth, that he was a prophet to come. His portrayal is announced. Isn't that amazing? He wasn't taken by surprise. Everything about his portrayal was already recorded um, clearly in Psalm 41. Um, And then seen in Luke 22. He was walking a pre-written course. Jesus said he came in the volume or the fullness of the book, which meant he wasn't making it up. Stay, Stay focused. He wasn't making it up. He was walking in a pre-written plan. And scripture is filled with statement after statement of who he was how he would be born, how he would die, how he would be portrayed. And actually, the explicit or the, the uh, preciseness of his, resur- of his death on a cross is shocking. But prophets were foretelling everything about how he would die. And we'll look at that in a moment. Um, his being sold for 30 pieces is in Zechariah 11.11. The violent death, Zechariah 12.10. His resurrection, Psalm 16.10. His exaltation to God's right right hand. All these things were spoken of or prophesied. So when someone comes to you and says, oh, this Jesus, there's no evidence that he was God's plan. You're going to go, are you kidding me? 
can I print you off a bit of paper that will blow your mind? Now, these handouts um, demonstrate the, not coincidences, but the God incidences between what was formed and planned um, before any of us were born. I mean, before this society was born. And the manifestation of everything that God promised he would do through his son happening, taking place, the result is our full salvation. Amen. So Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies in his earthly life and ministry. And according to one theologian, he's mentioned in typo prophecy 570 times. So Jesus isn't making it up as he goes along. Even the way that he did things and chose not to do things was in accordance to what his father has said he should do. He said, I only do what I see the father do. I only do what the father tells me to do. He was in direct relationship with the father and the father's will. And he knew how the cross would outwork. So often you read about the moment on the cross or you watch for stuff around Easter and you're like, he wasn't taken by surprise. It was brutal. What greater pain when you know what's coming, right? Have you ever hit your thumb with a hammer? Anyone? Hit your thumb with a hammer. Imagine if you knew you were going to do it and the pain you were going to experience, and yet you still had to do it. Jesus knew everything. He knew his beard would be torn from his face. He knew the crown of thorns. He knew the betrayal. And he said, not my will be done. That's the human, Jesus, the son of man. Your will be done. That's Jesus, the son of God. But he knew what was coming. Why? Because scripture told him plainly what it would look like. So these handouts are really good. Um, just have a read through them. Start to read some of the um, things prophesied versus the things come true. All right. Now, one of these, which is a classic example, is Psalm 22. And it's an incredible parallel between what is foretold and what happened in that moment of his death. I want to just share this one just to get your appetite going, get, get, your, get your juices going a little bit with this. Like, wow, that's awesome. I want to go and read some more. I'm kind of provoking you a little bit like, isn't this good? Hey, there's plenty more. Why don't you read the ones in the hand sheet in your own time? Now it says, um, concerning his death and burial resurrection, I'm just going to skip and grab a couple of verses out of Psalm 22. It says that in Psalm 1, uh, in Psalm 22 verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? (laughs) It's written there. Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the cries of my anguish? Come on, we all know about the message of the cross enough to know that one of the key statements Jesus made, the first key statement was forgive them. Never forget that. Forgiveness, you know, is a gift. The first gift that Jesus gave was forgive them, Father. They're not aware of what they've done. But another statement he made was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Exactly, it was was written in Psalm 22. Verse 7, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their head. Jesus was seeing the view of the cross before he went to it. The way that David prophesied about, I don't think David fully knew. He wasn't speaking just of himself. He was speaking of, he was prophesying what Christ would experience on the cross. Listen to this one, verse 8. He trusts in the Lord. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him, since he delights in him. 
They said to him, he trusts in the Lord. Hey, guys, can we just keep this down? Thank you. Verse 14, he says, I am poured out like water and my bones are out of joint. Do you understand what happens? In None of his bones were broken. That was another prophecy. But in crucifixion, oh, my goodness, my heart has turned to wax. Verse 16, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. How precise could you get? He's surrounded by criminals. He has a criminal to the left, a criminal to the right. And he said, they pierce my hands and my feet. This was being prophesied in Psalm 22 by David. But it was prophetic of what Christ would do and how he would die. This keeps getting better. Verse 17, well, not for him, but in our understanding. Verse 17, all my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. Do you know that when you were whipped, they whipped you from behind, but they had like pieces of shell that came around the front and grabbed everything and pulled it. All of his bones were exposed. When you stared on him on the cross in his nakedness, you saw a body where the skin had been shredded and the bones were revealed. How much did Jesus love us that he would know the price he was going to pay, yet say, say, yes, Father, for the sake of humanity. I'll go through knowing exactly every moment of what's going to happen. They divide my, verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Wow. Jesus is seeing the exact moment of his death, burial and resurrection and exaltation. Yet he gladly came to earth and walked among us, not just to do miracles for us in the moment that they lived, but to bring the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, those who were lost, back in to a forgiven relationship with his father. He saw in his father's eyes the desire of a big family and said, Lord, I'll go and be the seed that's planted in the ground to give you the family you desire. Wow. Verse 31 they will, they will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. What if a people yet unborn were those not yet born again? What if it's not just those physically not yet born, but they will proclaim his righteousness. Remember, our justification and righteousness comes through faith in Christ. Those who are not yet born will declare his righteousness. The new birth experience finds its strength in claiming justification that comes through faith, righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Wow, wow, wow. This is awesome. And that page that I've given you, and Claire was brilliant. I know what Claire is. She's busy. She was brilliant. I said, here's like eight pages. Can you squeeze them onto like two? And she worked so hard, bless her. Claire's awesome, isn't she? I so appreciate you, Claire. I really appreciate you, Claire. All you do. I really do. What an incredible young lady you are. But she managed to get this all together and everything like that. And I just think, I'm really excited. I'm looking at it at home going, oh, what about this one? What about this one? And that's what we want you to do. Okay. Now, why is correct Christology, the study of the person of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, so important? Number one, it reveals to us Jesus was not just a man, but the Messiah, the Christ, and the Son of God. When we study him, knowing that he was, 
he is and he is to come. Then we begin to draw closer to him in love and adoration. Number two, when we study Jesus, it reveals Jesus as the part of the Trinity, the eternal Godhead. It's vital that we understand God in three persons. We're going to be looking at that over the next few weeks. That there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, I heard some modern preachers saying something else. Don't believe them. It's called modern progressivism, where you bring God down to be like you. We want to stay old-fashioned in our understanding and say, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God in three persons. Christology gives us an opportunity to understand the part of Jesus in the family and in the plan. And number three, it confirms for us that Jesus left heaven to save us in the fulfillment of scripture. And this can now be our experience. What will understanding Jesus more do for us? It'll affect our worship. It really will. I'm anticipating a surge in worship as we take turn, time to learn of him. Because when you learn of him, suddenly you're left saying, you did that for me? You know, even as we read through Psalm 22, I'm left with the thought, you knew what you were going to go through? And you did that for me? What's my response? Worship. So as we study Christ, it'll increase our worship, it'll increase our prayer life, or correct our prayer life. You'll stop begging and you'll start thanking. It'll correct your approach and your expectations for everything he promised is true. Amen. Amen. You see, in Christ, there is no lie. He can't lie. Why? Because he's truth. When we understand what he said about himself, not just what others said about him, but also what he fulfilled in his death, burial, and resurrection, suddenly we look at the other promises he's given and we go, well, if you don't break promises, these are true also. Amen. Hey, if you're here today, did you enjoy that? Again, we're, we're, gonna, we're all putting our L plates and our P plates on this year. All of us, all right? L plates and P plates. You're either a learner or you're in probation until you see him face to face, all right? You're a probationary <laughs> until you see him face to face. I'm wearing my green, green P till I see him face to face, amen? I am. I want to keep learning because when I see him, I will be like him, amen? Because of what he's done in the time before when I met him and I've gone to see him face to face. Hey, would you just close your eyes for me for a moment? I just want to give an opportunity. I've not been around for a while, so it's wonderful to meet so many new people, see so many new people, but I never want to presume everyone has received Christ. Um, I don't want to do that. I've never done that. Uh, we always give an opportunity for people to respond to Jesus and receive him as their Lord and Savior, to receive him more than a man as the Christ, the Son of God, into their life. Let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father... Thank you for sending your only beloved son to die on a cross for me. To deal with my sin issue so that forgiveness could be released. That I could experience a new beginning and a fresh start. Jesus, I believe in you. 
and I call you Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Just my every eye's closed, every head's bowed. If you're here today and you've never prayed that prayer, you don't know where you stand with God. Maybe you've been away from God and you want to get the books right today. You want to leave this building saying, I know I belong to him. And you prayed that prayer. I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you, if that's you, if you would lift your hand boldly when I say three, as a demonstration that you just prayed that prayer for you. You didn't pray it for the person next to you. You prayed it for you. It's about your relationship with him. Here we go. One, two, three. Is there anyone today that needs to give their life to Jesus? Is there anyone today that needs to say, Jesus, come into my life, forgive my sin, be my Lord and my Savior? I'm just going to wait a couple of moments. I know you've had, over the last few weeks, a few people responding, and that's awesome. That's wonderful. But just in case today, just in case. Father, I thank you for what you're doing here. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing in Gosport. <clears throat> I thank you for the excitement. And Father, just on the, on the worship, just the increase on the worship as it's being aimed at you. I thank you, Lord, for the heart of these people to not be Sunday Christians, but to be followers and disciples. Father, we just thank you for great things ahead. Father, fundings released for buildings. We thank you, Father, for miracles for buildings. We thank you, Father, for the release of everything needed to make room for those who are coming. And we give you praise. Amen, amen, amen. amen.